This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. As we know, one million species are currently at risk of extinction. Back in 2011, almost 200 countries agreed to the Aichi Biodiversity Targets, a set of 20 targets intended to protect nature, save biodiversity and enhance its benefits for people. All 20 targets were missed. But in late December 2022, the Kunming Montreal Global Biodiversity Framework, or GBF, was finally signed, a landmark agreement which consists of four key goals and a set of 23 targets intended to address biodiversity loss, restore ecosystems and protect Indigenous rights. Will this truly act as a quote-unquote a framework for all life on Earth? So this is what I'm going to discuss with Teva Lingam. She's a public interest lawyer and environmental activist. She's also the legal advisor for Sahabat Allah Malaysia. Teva was over in Montreal for the COP15 uh, negotiations and she joins me now to share what went down. Welcome Teva, how are you today? Thank you, I'm fine. Lovely to have you on the show. So really excited because you were there in the thick of things. You know, I was uh, following you on Twitter and uh, all of your updates. So yeah, there was a lot going on. So really, really want to get into that. Um, But first, you know, let's just, um, you know, get some introductions out of the way. So of course, you know, COP15 was chaired by China, uh, hosted by Canada, of course. um, And of course, as I mentioned, resulted in the adoption of the Kunming Montreal Global Biodiversity Framework, uh, very much so on the last day of negotiations. Can you help set the scene, you know, of your own experience? Experiences at COP15 in Montreal, you know, in what capacity were you attending and representing all of that? Okay, um, actually that that was my first time attending a, a COP, uh, a proper COP uh, where I followed the negotiations very closely. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My previous time was actually in 2004 when the COP was in Kuala Lumpur. But at that time I wasn't uh, very active uh, within the, within the, during the negotiation process, I was very active outside. Um, and I attended this particular COP, COP15 in my capacity as the legal advisor to Sabah Alam Malaysia and the Third World Network and was part of the larger Friends of the Earth International Federation. Okay, all right. So uh, from what I was, what I was reading, uh, you know, from the negotiations, right, you were sometimes described as being as icy as the weather in Montreal. I mean, talk to me a little bit about what was going down there, you know. I mean, what was, yeah, how was the atmosphere like? Uh, why were there so many issues? Well, there were a number of tense moments during the three-week negotiations. Um, First of all, parties were very, very frustrated, including myself, because so many of us were sitting and listening through the negotiations uh, on the same issues over and over again. Uh, Some very, very wordy and unnecessary sections, many bracketed paragraphs, and then sometimes we came back to it and and parties uh, repeated the same arguments. But at the same time, some of the the tense... uh, periods that we had was uh, in the early morning of 14th of December when the developing countries uh, walked out of the negotiation room and this was on the issue of finance. Mm -hmm. So we had the like-minded group of uh, developing countries on biodiversity and development walk out um, and uh, because you know they were really frustrated when the developed countries were harping on an ambitious uh, GBF but they were not willing to compromise on the funding. So and and also for the need of a separate and dedicated global biodiversity fund. So that was one of the tense moments that we had. But I think uh, the other maybe highlight of it was on the uh, during the early hours of the morning of the of twentieth of December, after we had waited for uh, the plenary to begin at six p.m. on the nineteenth, um, the Chinese presidency who had set down the way in which the GBF would be adopted by way of a package of six documents. Um, 
he gaveled the entire adoption, despite the fact that uh, the Democratic uh, Republic of Congo raised an objection to the adoption itself on two issues. One on the lack of a separate and dedicated fund for biodiversity under the CBD. And second, there was not enough finance to implement the GBF. So this particular objection was sidelined and uh, the Chinese presidency gaveled it very, very quickly without any other discussion, stating that there were overwhelming support for, from the floor after Mexico had supported it. So many of us were actually very, very shocked and confused about what had just happened. And we know very well that the decisions in the COP are usually by way of consensus. Mm. So this really didn't seem like consensus at all. So yeah, so after, after the drop of the gavel, uh, Congo had recorded the objections to the rules of procedure, uh, followed by um, objections from countries uh, like Cameroon and Uganda. And of course, uh, in the end, at the end of the day, uh, the environment minister for Congo expressed uh, their sovereign right to make reservations mm -hmm. uh, on, on, resource, on the resource mobilization target itself and, and on the decisions relating to funding the uh, financial mechanism. So she wanted this to be placed on record and included in the report of COP15. Okay. All right. So, okay. So it was a lot of that, that, you know, and we see it happen also in the climate negotiations, right? This, this sort of like uh, the issues of funding and, you know, the, the developed versus developing uh, nations, you know, how their, their needs are not being seen to, especially the developing nations. Um, we're going to talk about finance a, a little bit after this, Deva, but maybe we can talk a little bit about what was finalised, right? So, of course, the major goal of the COP was to finalise and agree on uh, global nature targets for 2030 and 2050. Can you talk to me about those four overarching global goals and maybe some of the 23 specific targets in the global biodiversity framework? Um, you know, some that you think were particularly significant and that we should all know about. Um, okay. The Well, the global biodiversity framework, as we know, first of all, sets out the background, the purpose, the, how it's going to be implemented. There is also a theory of change and a vision for 2050 and a mission for 2030 of how the framework would you know, would be like. So if you look at the theory of change, it states that uh, it, there is a need for policy action to achieve uh, sustainable development so that the drivers of undesirable change that have exacerbated biodiversity loss will be reduced. And the vision is that by 2050, the biodiversity is valued, conserved, restored, and wisely used. Uh, while the mission of the framework by 2030, up to 2030, is that you, we have to take urgent action to halt and reverse biodiversity loss. So this is really in a nutshell. And they're all together, as what you had said, four overarching goals. Three are aligned with the objectives of the convention, which is to conserve biodiversity, uh, that there should be sustain sustainable use of the components of biodiversity, and the fair and equitable sharing of benefits that arise from the utilization of genetic resources. Now, the fourth goal uh, which is the goal D, is on the adequate means of implementation, meaning that where is the finance coming from and how um, this, this particular framework will be implemented. So which means that they will be looking at uh, capacity building, the technical and scientific cooperation and access to and transfer of technology to also progressively close the biodiversity finance gap, which is $700 billion per year. Wow. So these are, these are the, uh, that was the goal on the implementation. Um, besides that is that uh, the framework itself has uh, 23 action-oriented targets. Some are good and some are a step back from the previous IT targets. Mm -hmm. um, maybe some of the positive ones is that uh, target 22, 
which speaks to the um, effective and gender responsive representation and participation in decision making. Um, access to justice and information about diversity by indigenous peoples and local communities, where their cultures, their rights over lands, territories, traditional knowledge are respected. Um, then by women and children and girls and youth and persons with disability to ensure that the full protection of environment and also the ensuring the full protection of environmental human rights defenders. So you have all this nice language in Target 22, uh, in fact, very strong language in the text for IPLCs, women and girls and uh, environmental human rights defenders. Um, then you have Target 23, which ensures gender equality in the implementation of the framework to, uh, through a gender responsive uh, project uh, approach, uh, ensuring that there is equal opportunity and capacity for women and girls to contribute to the objectives, uh, make sure that their rights and access to land and natural resources are recognized. And they also you know, can meaningful, meaningfully participate uh, in, in decision-making processes at all levels. Um, I think uh, in relation to, uh, to what uh, the other target, that was really, really very popular, and I'm sure you would have also heard and read about this. Everyone was talking about this, which target three, which is also popularly known by the 30 by 30 target, mm -hmm. yeah. where by 2030, at least 30% of terrestrial inland water and coastal and marine areas are effectively conserved and managed. So this was really promoted by big conservationary, uh, conservation groups. Um, and the proposal to increase protected areas by at least 30% was contested by civil society organization and indigenous people's groups for various reasons because of the because of how it was uh, uh, first drafted that it would look like as if it's more of a fortress con uh, conservation and where you know they would not take into account the impacts on uh, indigenous peoples and local communities who of course we know that in the past they've been criminalized and displaced from their customary territories and ancestral lands over decades. Yeah. Um, and, and also because, you know, they, they follow a very, very colonial approach of what a protected areas are. So, but in the end, a compromise was struck and, and the target now includes the recognition and respect of rights of IPLCs over their tra tra uh, traditional territories. So target three now, um, kind of, uh, I mean, it, in a way, although we have the, the, the quantitative, uh, you know, you have the percentage still there, mm -hmm. but it still takes into account the rights of uh, Indigenous communities and uh, Indigenous peoples and local communities in the preservation of uh, protected, uh, conservation of protected areas. Um, and I think maybe the la maybe last two ones that I can quickly say is that um, in relation to um, target 15, which is uh, a target that's meant to regulate uh, corporate business and finance sectors. Now in the CBD, it is the, the Convention on Biological Diversity itself is meant to mainstream biodiversity into all sectors. It means that biodiversity must be a cross-cutting element mm -hmm. in all the sectors, uh, whether it's governmental and intergovernmental agencies. Now, but this particular target uh, fall short on actually regulating the business and finance sectors. Um, since there are no mandatory requirements or accountability measures or legal responsibility for the damage that has already been done. And we know very well that the real instruments of destruction are the corporations that pursue profits over people. Yeah. So, and you know, we know that they are the, the means by which our biodiversity is relentlessly exploited and it concentrates wealth and power only in the hands of a few uh, few people. 
So, so yeah, so that is target 15. And then uh, maybe the final target to quickly uh, concentrate on is, uh, is the, uh, the one on finance. Um, That's where the, always it, the huge one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the biggest one, the, the hotly debated target. Yep, yep. Um, on resource mobilization. So, so this particular target uh, talks to substantially and progressively increasing, increase the level of financial resources from all sources by 2030, where they would be mobilizing um, USD uh, 200 billion per year mm-hmm. by um, increasing total biodiversity-related uh, international financial resources from developed country countries to developing countries to at least uh, US dollars uh, US dollars 20 billion a year by 2025 and at least uh, US dollars 30 billion by 2030 and then they also say that uh, there should be a significantly increase of domestic resource mobilization um, there should also be uh, uh, leveraging of private finance where they promote blended finance where they implement strategies for raising new and additional resources and encourage private sector to invest in biodiversity. And then part of that whole 200 billion um, uh, US dollars per year is also to stimulate innovative schemes like payment for ecosystem services, green bonds, biodiversity offsets offsets and credits, uh, benefit sharing mechanism, but all of this with environmental and social safeguards. And of course, to enhance the role of collective actions, including by indigenous peoples, local communities, Mother Earth-centric actions and non-market-based approaches, including community-based uh, natural resource management, civil society cooperation, and solidarity. So that's uh, kind of what the um, target 19 is uh, uh, about on on the issue of finance. Okay. So so these are some of the targets that maybe may interest. Should uh, interest, I say. Yeah. <laughs> Should definitely interest all of us. Because yes, as we said, you know, we are so reliant on biodiversity. Um, um, I I can't remember who it was who said it, but you know, basically what we're doing to our biodiversity is, you know, akin to dying by suicide, isn't it? Because we're destroying uh, our life, isn't it? The essence of our life by destroying biodiversity. So if we don't act now, uh, we should have acted much uh, earlier, of course, but if we don't take action, um, we are just basically hurting ourselves in this process. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's just go for a quick break, Deva. When we come back, you know, I just want to expand a little bit on some of the targets, especially finance and um, IP, IPLCs. I'm speaking today to Deva Lingam. She's a public interest lawyer and environmental activist. She's also the legal advisor for Sahabat Ala Malaysia. Deva was over in Montreal last month for the COP15 talks, uh, which of course resulted in the Kunming Montreal Global Biodiversity Framework. That's what we're discussing today, whether it really is a framework for all life on Earth. We'll have more after this quick break. Keep it right here on Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. On the line with me today, Teva Lingam. She's a public interest lawyer and environmental activist. She's also the legal advisor for Sahabat Ala Malaysia. Teva was over in Montreal last month for the COP15 uh, negotiations. Uh, And of course, that resulted in the Kunming Montreal Global Biodiversity Framework, which has been called a framework for all life on Earth, which consists of four key goals and a set of 23 targets, 
all intended to address biodiversity loss, restore ecosystems and protect indigenous rights. So before the break, Teva, of course, you know, you explained, uh, you know, some of the major uh, outcomes from the talks. Um, but of course, I do want to spend a little bit more time perhaps talking about finance because, you know, that's always a huge issue, isn't it? And, you know, I was reading a report by your sister uh, network, which is the Third World Network, and that and this is what it was saying. It said that developed countries were using the opportunity uh, of the framework process um, to shift responsibilities onto the developing countries, um, as was the case with the Paris Agreement on climate change. And most of the world's remaining biodiversity is in developing countries, as we know. And as such, the burden for action lies heavily on them. But at the same time, the developed countries were pushing strongly for an enhanced mechanism on planning, monitoring, reporting and review but far from adequately meeting the demands of developing countries on the quantum of and mechanism for financial flows. I mean, you sort of alluded to that uh, um, earlier. Can you elaborate on that more for us, please? So in relation to funding um, and the provision for a new dedicated global biodiversity fund under the CBD, now this was actually one of the main holdups in reaching a decision for this new framework. And that is why we were we waited until like the early hours of the morning of the 20th of December before the GBF was adopted. In, in this negotiation process itself, I mean, in the last few years, we actually have seen developing countries consistently um, and strongly coalesced around the issue of a new global biodiversity fund and the provision of increased financial resources for the implementation of this framework. Um, while we were here, I mean, while we were in Montreal, we saw the we saw the north south divisions um, on more on onerous obligations and the provision of financial resources. Now, on the one hand, a lot is being asked from developing country parties that hold most of the world's biodiversity to meet the goals and targets of the GBF, but it does not adequately address the root causes of biodiversity loss and degradation, such as overconsumption in the rich world. They will also be held accountable for these actions through the monitoring of the GBF and the monitoring, reporting and review mechanisms. Now, for example, we also consistently heard, as I had explained before, from Congo, one of the poorest nations but richest mega biodiverse countries in the world, asking for enough finance and an appropriate financial mechanism to implement the GBF. And then on the other hand, you see developed country parties, which have really unmet, which have unmet legally binding commitments under Article 20 of the Convention to provide new and additional finance, financial resources to enable developing country parties to meet their obli uh, obligation. So this was really a huge debate. And, you know, they have been denying any language on equity and common but differentiated responsibilities. So what happened uh, during this process is that in, on the setting up of a financial mechanisms, there were three proposals on the table, a few proposals on the table. One is to continue to keep the global environment facility as the main mechanism, but to also have some reforms to it. And then there was a proposal by Colombia, Chile, Mexico, Peru, and Costa Rica for a trust fund for biodiversity to be, to be established under the GEF, the GEF. And then there was the, uh, the whole, uh, what do you call that? Uh, like-minded uh, developing countries that requested for a separate and dedicated biodiversity fund called the Global Biodiversity Fund, which would be in line with Article 21 of the CBD. Now, according to Brazil, and, and Brazil had uh, 
read out a statement during uh, the Stoctic plenary session. And they, Brazil had said that the this particular Global Biodiversity Fund would fulfill the CBD's mandate and complement the resource mobilization landscape. It would also emulate the recent historic establishment of a loss and damage fund mm -hmm. at the recently concluded, you know, the UNFCCC COP27. So in the end, what happened is that uh, there would be an establishment of a dedicated and accessible GBF fund in 2023 that can quickly mobilize and disperse new and additional resources from all sources. Uh, but this would be under and under Jeff. It still continues under Jeff, the Global Environment Facility, um, where the Global Environment Facility should also, as soon as possible, establish, and this is until 2030, uh, a special trust fund to support the implementation of the GBF. And then there would also be an advisory committee that would explore the proposals for a global instrument on biodiversity finance to mobilize resources from all sources. So this was what happened at the end of the, or at least this is the decision of the COP um, on, the, on the issue of finance itself. Okay, all right. So the thing about the, the GBF is that it's not, everything is being done voluntarily in that sense, isn't it? I would think that it is actually binding because we do have, we do have a decision of the COP okay. and there is also the, the CBD. So it is binding as far as the text is concerned. I mean, whatever that is stated in the text of the GBF. Okay, all right. So there will be some accountability in that sense, right? Because that's also always been a sort of a, a criticism of um, of the biodiversity talks, right? That there was no sort of accountability, especially in terms of uh, maybe, you know, from the developed countries in terms of financing and all of that. Yes, that would always be be a problem. But in terms of, for example, reporting and all of that, I think that has been clearly set out. Okay. Um, so countries will have to report back on a number of uh, on a number of uh, things under the under the framework itself. Okay. All right. So there is some amount of um, it is legally binding in some ways. Is that would I be right in saying that? I I would think that it is legally binding. Okay. All right. That's good to hear. Otherwise, you know, what is happening, right? Um, we do remember what happened with the Aichi targets, as I mentioned earlier. So, yeah, okay, there's a lot. Exactly. Of but, the, the, but that's the problem because the fin finance is actually hinged to this. Mm. So if there is not enough finance, then how are, you know, developing countries going to be implementing the GPF? Exactly. And exactly. that was one of the reasons also why the Aichi targets, I mean, you know, the whole the Aichi targets failed. I mean, it failed to be implemented. Okay. All right. Definitely. And I guess, you know, just looking at the whole thing, Deva, you know, it being your first time there, uh, you know, aside from what you attended in Malaysia, I mean, what outcomes were you most pleased about? You know, what, what, yeah, what gave you hope, I suppose? In terms of, um, I think what we, some of us, uh, or at least, well, most of us were at least happy about was we welcome targets 22 and 23 on rights and participation and gender. So in a way, this was a victory for civil societies who really pushed very, very hard to have these targets included. But also the language on respecting, you know, the roles, the knowledge, culture and rights of IPLCs, this was well reflected in the GBF. Um, and also in the conservation target, the one I had explained earlier, target three on spatial planning. And there is also safeguard language in relation to, of course, respecting the rights of uh, IPLCs. Um, then under the... Uh, new section C, uh, there is something where you have contribution and rights of indigenous peoples and local communities. Uh, the same recognition 
of, of uh, I mean, the, the what do you call the UN Declaration of Rights is also recognized under this. But sadly, they dropped the whole uh, declaration, UN Declaration on the Rights of Peasants and other people uh, working in rural, rural areas. We usually call it the UN drop. So this was particularly deleted. So there was a there was something that we were really not very, very happy about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then in terms of, uh, I think one of the most uh, important breakthroughs of COP15 is an uh, explicit agreement to share the benefits arising from the use of digital sequence information, ESI, okay. genetic resources. Now, the, the decision itself states that um, the uh, benefits from the use of digital sequence information on genetic resources should be shared fairly and equitably. So earlier during the negotiations, we saw several countries like Japan and Switzerland who were pushing for the use of DSI without this inclusion of benefit sharing uh, from the use of this technology. But um, but now, I mean, in, in with the decision of the COP itself, you know, this is a this is a breakthrough, in fact. So there is this uh, sharing of the benefits that has uh, been put in. And then there is also the clear recognition that any monetary or non-monetary uh, benefits should primarily be used to support conservation and sustainable use of biodiversity. And it should benefit indigenous people and local communities. So these are some things that we are quite happy with in terms of what came out of the decision and, and the GBF text itself. Mm-hmm. Anything that you weren't particularly happy about that you've not mentioned already? Not happy about? I've got a log list. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go for it. Okay, no, but I think I think the key thing was that where we were really, really not happy, and most of the civil societies that were really not happy, was that it was not a, a transformative agenda of the GBF because it does not address the root causes of biodiversity loss, and uh, worse still, it systematically incorporates injustices. So this could actually undermine the targets that are in place right now. Mm-hmm. And we all know that the cause of the biodiversity crisis is a system that places corporate profit and power over people, as I, I had you know, mentioned earlier. Yeah. The second thing is that our governments have regrettably ceded their responsibilities to regulate the private business and uh, finance sector, where if you look at the text of Target 3, they use words like, only, you know, like encouraging and enabling businesses to report and to label products. So they move the responsibility back to the consumers. Mm-hmm. And then you, the, the GBF has also now opened the door wide to corporate and market interests, where they've invited private, blended and innovative finance to provide financial resources without any safeguards. So this helps developed countries to avoid their legal obligations under the convention to provide new and additional financial resources. Now, that is a real problem in the in relation to the implementation of this uh, GBF itself. Mm. Um, at the same time, uh, this is also a bit worrying. What is also worrying is that there is this text of where they have embraced market-based mechanisms such as biodiversity offsets and credits and offsetting approaches such as nature-based solutions. So, and, you know, they, they, they have this promise to compensate for biodiversity loss by protecting similar ecosystem elsewhere. But really, this does not justify the continued uh, biodiversity loss and as and allows business as usual. And, and it continues to cause human rights violations and other injustices. And, and I think uh, I had spoken about uh, the Jeff Trust Fund. So... Uh, one point we'd like to make is that the governance of the Jeff Trust Fund, mm-hmm. the Global Environment Facility Trust Fund, 
for the GBF would be open to influence by unaccountable private sector and philanthropic uh, foundations. Now, the private sector commitments on action uh, also provide another escape hatch for governments, you know, to avoid their CBD obligation. And apart from that, um, there are no horizon scanning mechanisms to, to ensure future technologies will not be damaging to biodiversity of people. The issue of precaution has been sidelined. And lastly, the equity, equity itself has been supported in this framework. So financial amounts on the table are hugely insufficient and, and do not acknowledge the ecological debt that the developed world owes to the poor. So all of this, I mean, when you look at it as a whole, I mean, people call it as a major breakthrough, you know, uh, everyone is very happy about it. But then if you if you look at the GBF as a, as a whole, there are really quite a few misses which they could have uh, capitalized on at the time when the negotiation process was going on. I think more could have been done to have a very strong GBF, but unfortunately, it really falls short. Okay. And I guess, because of course, there's going to be a lot of more meetings happening. Um, I mean, COPs only meet twice a year, the official ones, but there's a lot of like um, smaller sort of like negotiations and talks happening in between, right? Do you think these sorts of issues can be discussed there or, or um, what we have in this framework is pretty much what is going to be for the, for the foreseeable future? Now, I think there will be more discussions uh, that would happen in, the, in, in, for example, the uh, SBIs. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. Would, yeah, so yeah. there would be uh, discussions on it. In fact, in fact, on the issue of finance itself, because there is going to be an advisory committee on, on the strategy, on resource mobilization strategy, where they have to discuss all of this. So all of that will go. I mean, the, the discussions will continue to happen. And of course, at the same time, we have to continue monitoring how it would be implemented as well because countries will have to report back on this. Right. Okay. All right. So so we've got this framework now. Um, it always, I guess, you know, everyone is saying it is a positive step forward, but as you outlined, you know, there's a lot of uh, missed opportunities, I suppose, but um, at least we've got this uh, this framework. Um, I, I guess I, I, you're quite hopeful, Deva, you know, from everything that you've seen. I mean, hopefully we're in the right direction at least. Hopeful because because <laughs> what else can we be right? Exactly, but then but then the GBF is just one part of the obligation you see by governments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We have you know we you know we have uh, we have to after this we have to monitor the implementation and then we also as civil societies as public you know we have to play our role yeah. in ensuring that there is no further biodiversity loss mm-hmm. and. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think what is really important is that we will not be able to solve this biodiversity crisis if we don't change the system that we are currently living within. Okay. So, yeah, so that is really very important. Okay. And well, thank you so much, Deva, uh, for joining me today. And, you know, we'll definitely keep in touch and, you know, get more updates uh, as and when. But, you know, before I let you go, uh, would you have any final message? I mean, we've got a new Minister of, of Environment, the NRECC, Nick Nazmi. Um, you know, any message to him or the Malaysian government or, you know, people, Malaysian people themselves or perhaps both? Well, I think it's really very important. At the national level, the government needs to do more than what is within the GPF text and prioritise issues concerning the environment. Plus, as the new government, I think they should be working very closely with civil societies and IPLCs. Mm-hmm. Um, and also want to say that it cannot be business as usual. The environment really needs to be prioritized. And, uh, and I think it's really important that corporations and finance sectors must be regulated. I mean, as I had mentioned earlier, 
uh, they, they are one of the key drivers to biodiversity loss. So I think uh, there, there is a lot of work to be done. And uh, as civil society, I think we are really uh, uh, looking forward to working with the new government and hopefully we'll be able to um, achieve something that is uh, that would really work in favour with our environment. All right. Thank you so much, Deva, uh, for joining me today. I've been speaking to Deva Lingam, a public interest lawyer and environmental activist. She's also the legal advisor of Sahaba Alam Malaysia. She was helping to break down what went down at COP15, uh, whether it, it indeed was a framework for all life on Earth. Um, you know, both Sahaba Alam and also Third World Network have done uh, many reports, you know, delving into what went down and, you know, all the nitty gritty details. Do check out their websites. Uh, for Sahaba Alam, it's foe-malaysia.org. Uh, for the Third World Network, it's just twn.my. Do search uh, for those and, you know, read up and, you know, find some resources there. And if you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always download the podcast at bfm.my earth or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.